Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. You may have noticed that this show has a new title, Sifter for the Ear. I considered Sifter in your ear, but figured Carlos and the folks at In Your Ear Studios might have an issue. Anyway, this new title reflects the two sides of the show. The original podcast, which is released every Wednesday on tvjerry.com, and the new radio version airing every Friday at 11.30 a.m. on WRAR 97.3. So if you can't wait till Friday, you can download or subscribe to the podcast version. Incidentally, the webpage for each episode features links to the shows or events or people we discuss, as well as pictures. And for the first time on the webpage, I'm including a picture of the guest drop-in, so you can find out who it is before you listen to the show. And there's one more edition in the coming soons. Since there are so many movies and shows opening every weekend, it's kind of confusing to tell when I'm on to the next one. So I've added a little for movies in the theaters and for TV and streaming. Hopefully that'll make it a little easier. 18 treaties signed with the Indian nation. In friendship and peace, negotiated with the tribes. After the inevitable COVID break, the 28th French Film Festival is back this year from March 25th through 27th. And the big Saturday night film is actually a Native American rock opera called Something Inside is Broken, which you just heard an excerpt from. The tribes have no land, they are homeless, hungry, trying to survive. On today's show, I'll be interviewing Jack Kohler, the creator of the film and the musical behind it. He'll tell us how it started, how it went on tour, and how it ended up on the screen, and more. Plus, there's a special surprise guest who will explain why a Native American film is being highlighted at the French Film Festival. Sifter, review of the week. The Adam Project, on Netflix. Ryan Reynolds has met his match, literally, in young actor Walker Scobell. He plays the 12-year-old version of Reynolds' character and matches his senior in comic charm and timing. Reynolds plays the adult version of a man who travels from 2050 to 2022 to save the world from the future. The interactions with the two actors make up the majority of the film, and their chemistry is eerily identical. The action sequences are well-staged, and the tech touches are cool. Director Sean Levy uses his assured touch to keep every moment exciting, fun, or sometimes even heartwarming. This is an ideal opportunity for the whole family to enjoy an amusing sci-fi adventure with a delightful duo in the leads. I gave it four and a half out of five stars. I'm thrilled to be talking today with Jack Kohler, who is the writer, director, producer, and did just about everything on this movie called Something Inside is Broken. Thanks for having me, Jerry. First of all, tell me this. You started out as a civil engineer. You got your degree from Stanford, and then you became an actor, producer, director. What possessed you to want to make that crazy change? <laughs> when I started Stanford, I really wanted to be a music major, and my grandparents and my mom wouldn't let me. They said, you need to do something productive. And I knew civil engineering because my father was a superintendent for Bechtel, and I had been on so many jobs. So it sort of felt easy to just slide on over to civil engineering and, and use my building knowledge, although I, I never used it. But <laughs> <laughs> Now, you call Something Inside is Broken, which is the movie that will be premiering at the festival, a Native American rock opera. First, I want to ask you, 
Is that your preferred designation, Native American, as opposed to indigenous? I prefer Native American, but pretty much all my life, you know, up until everyone became PC. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. It was an Indian, right? I referred to myself as an Indian, you know, right. an American Indian. Something Inside is Broken is actually a movie of a stage production that you not only wrote, but good heavens, I looked at the credits. You're just about costumes, set design. You were working on all the different aspects of this. First of all, when and where was it staged? In 2014, I had finished a movie called Kenia Kill, The Slaver's Son, and I had somebody translate all the uh, the narrative in that film into Nishinan, and that was Alan Wallace. Footnote. Kena Kill was a short written and directed by John that has some of the elements of Something Inside is Broken. Nishanon is the tribe and their language, which is featured primarily in Something Inside is Broken. At the time, he had been working on a play. And so after we were done with making that short film, he asked me to write the script for this musical that he was hoping to produce. And he would send me research papers and little uh, little transcripts, you know, really old little manuscripts that he found in these little libraries and, and bookstores. But finally, we found the story of, uh, and it's a true story of this chief who had two, he had a son. So the chief had a son and it, and it wasn't really, they weren't really brothers. I know in my movie, I made them brothers, but they were cousins. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the cousins was given over to Sutter to be in his army. Footnote. John Sutter became famous for Sutter's Mill, where gold was discovered that started the gold rush. He also established Sutter's Fort in an area that became Sacramento, California, where most of this film takes place. And Sutter was like a, I refer to him like a gang boss, because he would go to all these tribes and say, if you provide me people, I'll protect you. If you don't give me people to, to uh, you know, dig my fields and, and man my mills, then I'm not going to protect you. And then usually he'd send his slave hunters to their tribe who would terrorize them and, and kidnap people. This cousin became part of Sutter's army. The brother was very traditional and he didn't want anything to do with, with Sutter or Sutter's fort. But the slave hunters came and they kidnapped his intended wife. He went to the fort and he gave himself over to work at the fort. Then he incited a riot. They all escaped Sutter sent his army after them and, and told the cousin, you better bring back your cousin. Um, in, the, in the movie, I make them brothers, but you better bring back your cousin or we're going to go back to your tribe and we're going to wipe them out. 300 dead and counting, our bullets ripped through their skin. He died without a fight and soon they'll all be dead. I, I really think the whole story is really about the, the younger brother who has to decide, you know, do I save my tribe, my family, my lineage, or do I save my brother? If you want to hold on one second, somebody is knocking at my Zoom door. Let me see what this is about. Do you know this surprise visitor? <laughs> hey, how you doing? Oh, it's lovely. It's great to see you, Jack. And also, <laughs> Jerry, always wonderful to see you. Footnote. Dr. Peter Kirkpatrick co-founded the French Film Festival with his wife, Dr. Francoise Kirkpatrick, and they're both professors of French literature and culture. He's at VCU and she's at University of Richmond. This is not a French film. What's it doing in the French Film Festival? <laughs> There's a festival that grew out of the French Film Festival, and it's called the Pocahontas Refrain Storytellers Festival, right. which focuses on Native American cinema that grew out. In fact, that festival is directed by a man named Brad Brown that I hope, uh, Jerry, you'll have him on one day. 
And Brad is a member of the Pamunkey tribe here in Virginia. And so he curates and directs the festival. Brad is a partner festival of ours. And what we do is every year for the now, we'll go into the sixth year because he has a sixth festival starting up in November. We always show a Native American film in order to announce the Pocahontas Reframe Festival. Uh And uh, I have to tell you, we are so excited about having Jack and members of his crew come to our 28th French Film Festival in the Bird Theater. You segued perfectly into my next question. So what's the deal with the festival? Obviously, the last couple of years, everybody's film festivals have been all over the place, virtual, whatever. What's happening this year with the festival? So this is our 30th year. Wow, congratulations. But it will be our 28th festival because in 2020, 10 days before the festival is when everyone shut down and uh, we had to pull the plug on it. And then in 2021, um, because of COVID, we had an agreement with Bowtie Cinema, even though we always do our festival at the Bird, but with Bowtie, they wanted to create a drive-in in their parking lot. I remember that. Never took off. And so that didn't take off. So here we are finally going to be able to do the 28th festival. And Jerry, just to let everyone know too, as you know, the Bird Theater has over 1,200 seats every year. We've been packing those during the festival. However, because of COVID, we're going to be extremely prudent. Pass holders of the past have indicated they want us to make sure it's a safe environment. So we are limiting, actually, the spectators to only 400 out of those 1,200 seats per screening, which is a big hit. Yeah. But also, everyone needs to be masked at all times. That means there'll be no concessions sold, there'll be no food or drink allowed, and everyone has to wear the mask at all times in theater. And also... We will be checking for uh, vaccination status and everyone that has a card will get an armband and be allowed in theaters. And so uh, we're hoping for the best. We're actually recording this on March 8th. So is there any possibility? I know the mask mandates have been lifted in a lot of areas around the state. Is there any possibility that any of these guidelines might be adjusted before the festival? You know, we thought about that. However, we have had so many people that have passes already for the festival And remember, we're honoring people who bought passes back in 2020 and 2021. So those past members actually have indicated because of those protocol guidelines that we're putting in, that that's the only reason they're going to be coming is because they know it's going to be a safe environment. Okay. Anything you want to say to Jack before he gets here? I know that you've remastered the sound and the image um, to see it in the bird theater on this big screen, but also for our public to have that experience of coming into communication with your film that touches so many important things um, that all of us as Americans need to be aware of. And we look forward to welcoming you and your crew here on March 24th through 27th at the 28th French Film Festival. Thanks, Peter. I'm really excited to be there. And uh, thank you for the opportunity, too. Uh, you've, you, you have really inspired this project. I sort of gave up on it because COVID hit right when we finished the, the first edit. And then film festivals started shutting down and nobody accepted it. And then that inspired me to, to go back and listen to all the music and say, hey, I, I, I can redo this and make it better even. Well, we, we thank you for doing that whole process. And we know that, um, as I told you, when Francoise and I we were blown away by discovering your film, uh, we wanted to highlight it. And when I say that, we're highlighting it at the prime spot of our festival this year, which is Saturday night at eight o'clock, wow. on March 26th. You know, this this film is so powerful on many levels, not just from a cinematic level. You know, this is a film that goes into the wretched legacy of the Catholic Church's doctrine of discovery. 
you know, the violation of Native American peoples, their lands, their languages, their spiritual beliefs, you know, and other stories like the rape and the murder of indigenous women, you know, which continues to this day as one sees, you know, and learns about the disappearance of Emily Reisling from the Yurok and Hooper Valley right there on by Jack's tribe in California. You know, the U.S. government and Congress not respecting treaties, termination, relocation, the list goes on. But the power of that is the fact that despite the atrocity, that there's hope, whether it's through the process of language revitalization, um, the struggle for social, economic and environmental justice, but also how each of us and watching something inside is broken, that we can take from that in, in order to, to work on ourselves, to break down barriers, to, to open up our curiosity and become better people. Thanks. I think I'm done. <laughs> well, okay, that's it. Thank you all very much. No, Peter, we want to thank you so much for dropping in and we will look forward to seeing you at the festival. Great. Looking forward to seeing you both at the festival. You all Thanks, take care. Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Have you been to the bird before? Have you seen this beautiful venue where you're going to be exhibiting the film? I've only driven past it once. And oh, that was wow. in November. You're yeah. in for a treat. It's really cool. So now that Patrick's gone, we can talk about it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is actually a staged production that you filmed. Where did the idea come from for the play? And where was it a staged originally? Uh, so working with Alan Wallace and Simone Wilson, who's the music director, in about a year, we created this project. We took it to Sacramento State University and we did a 45-minute version of it. And the students loved it. Then we took it to uh, Sierra College. These are uh, near Sacramento, California. And while we were at Sierra College, the director of their theater said, if you can mount the whole show, I'll let you use our 450-seat state-of-the-art theater for free for four days. So we performed there. Two months later, (laughs) we were able to get the whole cast together and perform there for four days. And while we were there, so, so this is in May of 2016, there was a tribal chairman from a Southern California tribe who was there in the audience. And after the show, he came up to us and said, if you do a tour in the fall, I'll, I'll help <laughs> you find all the money to do a tour. So we we pulled together $100,000. And then in September of 2016, we toured three states, uh, California, Nevada, and Arizona. And we performed at 10 different theaters. And I had not even thought about filming it. It was like a one of those last minute decisions. But I had some, uh, you know, I had some nice cameras of my own because I'm, I'm a filmmaker. So uh, I brought them along and uh, we filmed every performance in these 10 different theaters. In case you dropped in after the beginning of the show, I'm interviewing Jack Kohler, who is the writer, producer and director of the Native American rock opera Something Inside is Broken, which will be showing at the French Film Festival on March 26th. Back to the interview. That was going to answer my my next question is how many times did you shoot it? So you shot it a lot. Yeah, we shot it 10 different times, but we only had one. We only have one really good camera. Uh So (laughs) we had to cut it all up from all these 10 different theaters. When you're on tour, every theater is a little bit different and the lighting schedule is different. When you edit it together, sometimes you'll see, you know, the background all of a sudden goes from black to blue and then to red, you know, and that's because depending on who was running the lights at the time, not all the scenes were exactly (laughs) lit the same way. So that played a little havoc with my editing, but uh, I think it works. Just like West Side Story, which recently, of course, came out in the new version in the movie, a couple of the songs in that were actually sung in Spanish with no subtitles. I noticed in Something Inside is Broken that some of the songs are sung in a native tongue without, I'm assuming, super titles or anything. <laughs> 
What made you decide to do that, especially 2016, which is a lot earlier than West Side Story? I'm trying to make the audience understand the thinking of both sides. So when uh, California became a state, Europeans were had only been in, in that state for maybe 200 years, but most of them were, were Spanish and lived along the coast. So uh, I wanted the audience to understand, you know, language was a huge barrier. So I was trying to give the audience the idea of, okay, we can understand what they're saying, but we sort of can see from their emotions and, and what's going on what is happening. And so I wanted to give that little sense of conflict between the, the two sides, you know, the English speaking and the Nishan on. And I, I think it works. Yeah, I, I knew it. Well, it was a love song more kind of. So that makes it yeah. pretty easy to understand. Like any show like this, you've got to have white people who are being very mean and hateful and racist. And of course, you had to work with white actors to do this. Did you have to work at all with the cast? Did you have a, anybody to help the white members feel appreciate the history and feel comfortable having to say and do all these horrible things to the Native Americans? We did. It was a very hard show to perform. Before we did every show, we had to do a circle. We burned some sage or some cedar root, and people would go around and say something in the circle before we performed, because it was a very tough show to perform, just emotionally. I know most of this was based on fact, but I'm assuming, was there any dramatic license in any of the relationships or any of the events that you maybe condensed or just had to add for dramatic effect? Or is everything 100% based on some historical evidence? Uh, yeah, so everything is based on evidence, but it's it's probably pulled from three different stories that I pulled together and made into one story. So actually, uh, Alan Wallace's, one of his uh, aunts, she was a slave to Sutter. Wow. And so when he was a young boy, he remembers, you know, whenever he was around her, yeah, he, someone asked about her nose because she had a, a hole through her nose. And she said at night, there was a ring that was in her nose and she was attached to a pole with a chain so she wouldn't run away. Wow. So for 50 years, she was one of Sutter's slaves. And after 50 years, he didn't need her anymore. So he let her go. I won't give anything away, but there is an interesting, not quite so graphic and horrible, but there is an interesting parallel to that in the show, which yeah. I guess that's where that came from to an extent, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's where it came from. There's a pretty impressive group of actors, many of whom are Native Americans. Was that a challenge, finding enough Native American actors to play those roles, or they were just dying to get on stage and do something? So we were actually we're up in Sacramento. So the very first time we did the show, it was all local actors. And then as we needed more actors, I started to put ads into backstage. And uh, by the time we did the uh, the tour, we had an actor from New York, from Atlanta, from New Mexico, a couple from Los Angeles and San Diego, and then a lot from Sacramento. But there were 18 of the cast members who did have uh, Native American lineage. So wow. that was pretty right. cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, you miss, to some extent, the window of festivals in person because of COVID. But what is going to happen next with the film? Have you got any distribution plans? Once it's screened at the Pocahontas Reframe Film Festival, it just started to take off. So we've we've won 12 awards, mostly Great. in Europe. Congratulations. Yeah, European film festivals. I don't have ties to New York or, or Broadway or Paris or London. I'm, I'm hoping that some producer in one of these theaters is going to see it and say, hey, I want to remount that show at my theater and see what happens. 
So a question I ask everybody on the show is, what are you watching right now, whether it's a movie or TV or streaming? Hmm. The, well, the last series I watched uh, was Yellowstone. Oh, which is great. Footnote. Yellowstone is a TV series created by Taylor Sheridan that stars Kevin Costner as the owner of the largest cattle ranch in Montana. There are four seasons on Paramount Plus, and it's worth watching. Yeah, yeah, a couple of my friends are in Yellowstone, so so I like to see them in the series. You seen it all the way to this final episode of the last? No, season? I haven't. I have not oh. because I've been. I stopped watching in November once once I started re-editing. Something inside is broken, so I'm looking forward to uh, catching up. You've got some great surprises. <laughs> so, and, and then I'm a I'm also a big fan of science fiction. So uh, I love The Mandalorian. So science fiction and westerns, those are my two go-tos. Every night I go home from my my 8-hour job, I'll go home and then I start editing again. It's a big process and it's, and we've done the whole thing for free. So Oh, wow. We haven't made one cent. In fact, I I'm owed about $16,000 just for <laughs> when we went on tour. Well, now that's interesting because you just said when I get home from my 8-hour job, I thought you were a full-time filmmaker. What's the 8-hour 9 to 5? So I'm I'm also a teacher. I teach uh, filmmaking and media and music for a tribal school in Northern California. But you're not an engineer. I'm not an engineer. No, I, I got out of engineering. Um, I know that Patrick briefly mentioned about the crisis of missing Indigenous women. In the film, women are treated horribly in a different way. But what is your take on uh, this issue now? Well, the missing and murdered Indigenous people's crisis is it's nothing new to America. It's been going on since Pocahontas was kidnapped from Jamestown in Virginia. It's in the news right now. But it's been going on since America was first found by that lost Italian, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a trauma that everyone's felt who's, who's a Native American because we know somebody who is missing a relative. Wow. In fact, in my tribe alone, there's been 72 missing women over the last 20 years. Wow. Just, and a lot of it has to come down to law enforcement and who, who's in charge of looking for these missing people. And that's always the uh, the catch is, is who, no one wants to take responsibility because it's a native reservation. And so this story is really about missing women in, in California. I mean, something size broken is how Sutter, he had slave hunters that would roam California and kidnap young girls and young boys. And then Sutter would sometimes use those women to pay off his debts and send them down to men in, in San Francisco who he had borrowed money from. But but now it's in the forefront because one, because the media is so easy to get out to the, the public. And I think a lot ha also had to do with what happened with America and the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. Standing Rock was a huge push for, for Native Americans being out in the forefront and standing up for what was right. And so, you know, the younger generation wants to know those answers that were kept from them in public school. And they want to know the true history now. And that's the only way anyone can heal is the, the truth has to come out. And then we can all move move ahead on, as a society. I will have to say there's one encouraging thing, not only with Reservation Dogs, which is almost exclusively a Native American cast. Footnote. I called Reservation Dogs Atlanta on the Res because it reminded me of Donald Glover's unique and award-winning show. This one revolves around a group of Native American teens in Oklahoma and features an almost entirely indigenous cast. And it's one of the best new TV shows of the year, now on Hulu. The representation is improving. Uh, Rutherford Falls, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, and Resident yes. Alien, both are cast with a number of members of Native American tribes in that area. So that's kind of, to me, it's kind of cool that this is happening more and more. I remember back in the days when you had white men putting on red makeup and <laughs> pretending to be an Indian back in the, you know, the 50s and 60s. 
to me, that's gratifying. Is that something that you're noticing too? Oh, yes. Yes, most definitely. And people are demanding that, you know, natives play native roles. Right. right. Uh, which is great to see. Well, I have enjoyed this very much. It's been a fascinating conversation and certainly very important. And I can't wait for you to see the bird because I think you're going to find it's a beautiful place to see something inside is broken. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, thanks a lot, Jerry. Thank you. Something Inside is Broken will premiere Saturday night, March 26th at the French Film Festival, showing at the Bird Theater. There are links to that and more on the website at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Uma, which is Korean for mother. This stars Sandra Oh as an American woman who finds herself haunted when she takes possession of her Korean mother's remains. The Outfit. Mark Rylance stars as an English tailor. He ends up in Chicago, where he makes clothes for gangsters. Alice, Kiki Palmer, stars as an enslaved person who flees to the nearby woods only to discover it's actually 1973. That sounds like echoes of last year's Antebellum. Jujitsu Kazen O, the movie, this is a prequel in the manga series. Master, with Regina Hall as one of three women at a New England university who discovered that the elitism at the college is hiding something much more sinister. It also drops on Amazon Prime the same day. Journey, a combo of songs, music videos, poems, and more on Friday night only at The Bird. And if you heard last week's show, you may recall that the screening of Plan 9 from Outer Space, the movie, along with a book signing of the book by Catherine Coldiron about the movie, will take place 5.30 p.m. Sunday at the Carytown Record Store. And it's free. TV and streaming. DMZ on HBO Max on the 17th, Rosario Dawson plays a medic searching for her lost son. It's directed by Ava DuVernay and based on the DC comic. Also on HBO Max, Minx, a comedy that takes place in 70s LA about a feminist who starts the first erotic magazine for women. Black Crab on the 18th on Netflix, Numi Rapace stars in a post-apocalyptic world drama set in a frozen wasteland. Windfall, also on Netflix, a man breaks into a tech billionaire's empty vacation home, but they come home. It stars Jason Segel, Jesse Plemons, and Lily Collins. And finally on Netflix, on the 18th, Human Resources, an animated comedy starring Henry Winkler. On Hulu on the 18th, Deepwater, Ben Affleck stars as a man who allows his wife to have affairs to avoid becoming a murder suspect. It's directed by Adrian Lin, who did Fatal Attraction, Indecent Proposal, and Nine and a Half Weeks. Life and Beth, also on Hulu, Amy Schumer created the series and stars as she plays a woman who starts flashing back to her teens, also with Michael Sarah. And on Disney Plus, Cheaper by the Dozen, Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union star in this new version of the family comedy. That's Sifter for the Ear for this week. Remember that there are links to the events, films, and people we discussed, plus pictures of the participants on Sifter at tvjerry.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. For more Sifter, including literally thousands of reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.